Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I guess he screwed Sally Fields. Alright, but you're just trusting Wikipedia over Jason and I. Because they because they make you get recircumcised if you convert. Tries to get to a place and back and as fast as he can. Hello and welcome. We're back from theballerlifestyle.com. It is the Baller Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Brian Beckner. I am the host of the show. I'm going to take a guess that this is episode 235, which is a grip. That's more than a few. 235 episodes in. You're welcome. That's all I can say. Uh, if you would like to reach out, you can do so. A lot of people might want to respond to what we're going to talk about today. Um, if you want to do that, you can do so via the email address, mailbag at theballerlifestyle.com. You can also send us a voicemail, 949-464-TBLS. The Facebook page, a lot happening on the Facebook page. Big topic lately on the Facebook page is my thriving mustache. Very, very popular. If you have not gone to the Baller Lifestyle Facebook group or you do not follow my Instagram story page, you may not know about my Burt Reynolds style mustache. My mustache has been compared to Burt Reynolds, which is weird because he just passed and we're paying tribute to him today. So if you want to make fun of the way I look, if that is the kind of thing that makes you feel better about the way you look, fine. You can do that. Go to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, The Baller Lifestyle Podcast on Facebook and uh, request to join or however that works. I'm not really sure. I run it and I respond to everybody on it, but I don't really know how to find it. You can find it. Um, and if you would like to subscribe in a or, or make a monetary donation to the show, patreon.com slash the baller lifestyle where all the heroes hang out. Uh, joining me now, as always, it's at daily. Ed, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Did you, you? I think I saw a picture from vacation. You still rocking the stash? Yeah, but it, it looks like it looks like uh, like a Errol Flynn yeah, kind of yes, Zorro yes. kind of deal, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Somebody said somebody said Douglas Fairbanks. It's come in okay. It's better than I thought I would like it looks like a pretty good mustache for a seventeen year old. Like if you if what's, a seven what's the end game here? Well, that's 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 in question. Yeah, somebody, uh, a friend of mine I was FaceTiming with the other day was like, Oh yeah, you look like Douglas Fairbanks. And that's I mean, Errol Flynn, Douglas Fairbanks, these men were beautiful. 
Like these, these are fucking I'm just saying, matinee it's not, idols. It's not, it's not too, too Bert like. I mean, it, but I'm giving a it a couple stash, weeks. A stash in general, I guess, is honoring Bert, but right. you know, I'm it's, just, it's not Bert like. I'm just saying it's been compared. That might not be your, maybe you weren't the one that made that comparison. Okay. But somebody was, somebody did. And it wasn't me. It was somebody else. And they're, you know, I don't disagree. Um, it's, you know, it's, there's been butter mustaches. I'm not, I'm not looking like Thomas Magnum here, but we'll see how it comes in. I'm going to give it a couple Speaking more of which, weeks. Yeah. No fucking mustache on the, on the new Magnum. But the new Magnum's Mexican. <laughs> I mean, what, and, and Higgins is a lady. Hold on. Before we get into this, um, joining us now, this is, we're going to do, we're going to pay tribute to Burt Reynolds on this episode. We're going to discuss the 1977 classic or 78. I think it came out. No, 77. Smokey and the Bandit, which I just watched. Um, and we're going to discuss it with me, myself, of course, at Daily Always, and very special friend of the show, a guy that occasionally has to leave in the middle of doing a show to go do something that I won't mention here. Um, of course, I'm talking about Jason Stewart. Jason, how are you? Hello, oh, man. Hey, Jason. Um, I will say this: known you for guys are talking pauses. about Brian's mustache. If you are um, unaware of what Brian looks like and you haven't gone to his his uh, social media platforms, um, he the ambiguity, ambiguousness, whatever you want to call Ambigu- it, Brian, ambiguity, ambiguity, yeah. perfect. We'll clean clean that up in post. Um, okay. So, <laughs> if you the ambiguity with Brian Beckner is if you look at his. Uh, you know, Instagram or Facebook, he's either a guy who cares too much about what he looks like, or he's a guy that doesn't care at all about what he looks like. That's right. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm gonna, you can't I'm gonna go with the former. You can't really look like me and care a lot about what you look like. That's all I'll say. I'm not. You've got a lot of stuff going on. I do with have the a lot rings of yes. and the fanny pack. Yes. You want to be noticed, but I'm not. I'm not especially handsome. I'm not tall. I'm not in great shape. Like, there's not a lot happening here that you would really want to draw attention to or be extremely proud of. My eyes are close together. I mean, I've noticed my eyebrows i'm starting to have those eyebrows that go like all every which way like wilford brimley so i don't you know it is what it is i'm doing the best i can here but i don't i adorn you know i go for it i'm i like to be stylish i got some shirts and stuff do what you gotta do hey i'm out there i'm putting it out there um okay smoking the bandit so burt reynolds died couple weeks ago. A week and a half, something like that. Yeah, and he hadn't really been on the radar for quite a while. If you figure, like, the end of his career was Boogie Nights, and that came out, and that came, that was 20 years ago. And then that was, it was that was more than 20 years ago, and that was 20 years after Smokey and the Bandit. And, you know, he had the hair piece. I think he had... Some issues with pills. I'm sure there was copious amounts of alcohol consumed over the years. But in 1977, there just was nobody 
on the planet like Burt Reynolds. He was the actual fucking man. And he was really the template. Like if you think about George Clooney now, where George Clooney is a, he's this matinee idol. He's beautiful. Like, you know, the guy fucks, but also he's got a sense of humor. And that was a thing that wasn't a thing until Burt Reynolds came along. Would you guys agree? Yeah, he, I um, he, he, I read somebody, somebody's like obituary or, or commentary on him. And they said something to the extent that he could act, but he kind of picked the lane for the most part, aside from deliverance. He, he picked the lane of just, hey, I'm just going to have fun with this, like being Burt Reynolds and do movies with my friends and have lots of sex. Like he kind of chose to just be yeah. the fun, easygoing guy. Yeah, you know, I noticed I watched this movie. It's on Amazon Prime for those of you. And I hadn't seen it in, I don't know, a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time for me. Yeah, I was probably like 12 years old the last time I watched it. And I, I watch it on the Amazon Prime thing. And what's cool about that is that there's, there's like a scrolling, if you choose for there to be, there's like a scrolling stream of facts. And it tells you who, which actors oh, in yeah, every actor scene. in every scene, the yeah. songs. Great. And if, and if you what, click, wait a minute, what? that seems like that you just completely cheated then for this podcast. You, you have a much more informed. No, I didn't write it. Come into no, this. I didn't. I didn't write any of the shit down, but what I did notice is I, that, yeah, Ed's here for that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't mess around with like having knowledge and knowing about stuff. Um, I did notice that if you would click on an actor, like there was a couple dudes from Dukes of Hazard that showed up, like it was a, you know, it's a Southern movie. Um, but if you click on s- somebody who's in a scene, you're like, who the fuck is that? And you click on them. And it's like, here's the other things they've been in. It's all other Burt Reynolds movies. Yeah, that's what I use it for. It's great. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah, he was in Gator. Right. This chick was in Gator and uh, Cannonball Run. Like it was all the same actors. You're right. I I actually yeah. read this guy's memoir probably I don't know 18 months ago. Shut and up. And that's what Get it the was. Fuck out of here. If, if you had. If you have Burt Reynolds, if, if you cast Burt Reynolds, he's bringing his team. He was like one of these guys that was really particular and insecure, especially at the prime of his career, that he only worked with the actors that he was comfortable with. And I, I'm looking at his IMD page. I know you said the end of his career was Boogie Nights, and that was 90, 97, right. which, side note, is my favorite movie of all time. It's a great and movie. The, and great the, only, the only movie he was ever up for an Academy Award for, by yeah. the way. Um, but he probably has 50 credits after Boogie Nights. I know. Most, I remember most, Striptease most, was right around the same time. Right. Yeah. No, no, most of them we haven't heard of. And then if you look at, at 2016, I think you'll get a little depressed. He must have just been out of money. He he did he did like five B-movies in 2016 yeah. after not really working. So he was, I think he was grinding it out until the very end, especially maybe that's why he read, wrote those memoirs too. I think, and I think I saw not that long ago, maybe a year or two ago where he was, he was auctioning off a lot of his memorabilia, his bandit oh, car. Shit. Yeah. I, uh, I maybe 12, 15 years ago, I went to the Burt Reynolds and Friends Museum in Jupiter, Florida, 
and it was it was tremendous because there was there was all kinds of props and things and then i think he scrapped it and sold all the stuff off the only disturbing part was i want to say a third of the place was dedicated to the show that nobody watched evening shade (laughs) (laughs) that was a big show that was the that was the broad that did uh designing women like she was she had carte blanche at cbs at the time and she's like designing women was a big hit and they're like make us another hit and she's like i got it right here evening shade with burt reynolds um, it's, it's crazy. I, I can't say, I can't say I watched a single episode no, of Evening Shade. And I. if you look at the IMDb, it went for like nine years. Yeah, it's a big show. But, but that's how I feel about the Big Bang Theory or anything on CBS. <laughs> I mean, I watched, right. I watched Letterman, but anytime you see like during NFL, they, never. they promo these shows. I don't, I've never watched any of them. I've never seen a minute of, uh, Big Bang Theory. CSI. The, great, the, the greatest thing about, uh, when you watch the NFL games on these networks is that, Every single genre is the is the best of the new season. The best new comedy of the new season. The best drama of the new season. And then inevitably, these network shows have such a short shelf life. Like by the end of the NFL season, that best comedy of the new season that's sandwiched between two of their juggernauts is canceled. Yeah, yeah exactly. They don't make it. Um. So Bert, Bert, I'll just give you a little uh, thumbnail. Biography: Bert Leon Reynolds was born uh, the son of Harriet and Burton Reynolds, um, Dutch, English, Scotch, Irish ancestry. He also claimed Cherokee roots, but I don't know. I don't know if he ever did a DNA twenty-three yeah, that, or anything. Like that seems like just that. a line. A lot of people say that. Um, he's, he claimed to have been born in Waycross, Georgia, although he said in 2015, he was actually born in Lansing, Michigan, go Spartans, uh, born February 11th, 1936. Um, he and his mother, his dad was in the army. He and his mother and sister hung out there, ended up settling in Palm Beach, Florida, where his dad was the chief of police. Um, he went to high school there. He was an all state, all Southern fullback, multiple scholarship offers. A lot of people know this after graduating from Palm beach high school, he went to Florida state university where they play some ball go Knowles. Um, but it was not to be, I believe he, although he was roommates with, uh, Lee Corso of the college football today or whatever yeah as an aside yeah lee corso it's it's time to hang up it's been time it's it's dick clark's rocking eve it's been time it's i I appreciate i appreciate i'm not saying you you put a bullet in the head of somebody who had a stroke but he's in a speaking role and they they're like all talking quick previewing the games and then they cut to him and it's it's like it's tough it's not not good i'm sorry you know, it, it, I'm sorry it happened to you, but at the same time, you're in your 80s. It's okay to just say, you know what? Nobody can understand you anymore. I think it's fair to say that the um, the actual heads of the mascots that he's famous for putting on his head to choose yeah. which team, yeah. they are they are uh, more audible than Lee Corso is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's tough. You don't you don't see Kirk Douglas starring in any movies these days, but. 
they roll him out on stage sometimes, like Michael Douglas will be talking to him. Yeah. Oh, dad, you're so funny. And nobody knows what the fuck he's talking about. You know what they should do? Hey, producers, just have Lee Corso in his fucking house and have him in his living room in Florida, wherever he lives. And when it comes time to pick the games, just go to him real quick and have him put the head on and everybody could go crazy. Yeah. You don't even or need to have him there. Or go Legends of the Fall, Anthony Hopkins, just give him a little chalkboard. And then he can write his thoughts. <laughs> uh, so Bert got hurt on the field. He hurt his knee and then he had apparently had a bad car accident, lost his spleen, which does anybody need a spleen? You only time you ever hear about a spleen is when somebody loses one in an accident um, yeah. and, and fucked up his other knee. He tried to go on, but it just, just didn't happen for him. Switched to drama. And the guy was just a fucking handsome son of a bitch. Um, so you could see how that worked out. He did some local theater, moved up the ranks, got a job on TV. He was on, he guest did the guest starring rounds, Flight, M Squad, Schlitz Playhouse, a bunch of shit, Pony Express. Schlitz Playhouse. Yeah. Uh, big break came when he was cast in the show Gunsmoke. Did that for a few years. Some other TV shit that I've never heard of. Then... Big movie, like jumping from TV to the movies was a big fucking deal back then. Right. And he made shit happen when he starred in a little film called Deliverance, directed by John Borman. Uh, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's great. He went on to fucking star in a bunch of shit, direct a bunch of shit. He was a super fucking powerhouse actor. Um, turned down a lot of roles, too. Um, terms of endearment. That was him. That was supposed to be him. Ended up going, didn't want it. Ended up going to Jack Nicholson. Um, there's a whole bunch of other ones. I think, uh, did he get Indiana Jones or yeah, no? I thought or, maybe, uh, no, Han Solo. James Bond? James Bond, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Uh, there was a whole bunch. I could have studied that. I didn't. Uh, anyway, he was the fucking man in 1970. Well, yeah. Who we talk about. I mean, get off the filmography and maybe talk about something that will be very interesting to our our listeners. I just talk. I just found on a ranker I just found a, on ranker dot com a list of women that Burt Reynolds has had sex with, ranked. That's are that's, you guys interested in this? I I'm interested in the names, but if any if the internet has taught me anything, ranker dot com is a is a pretty rough. Wow ranking list give us give us all right well screw you um okay ready ninth on the list is lorna weft yeah any reaction to that no who's that for my time lorna weft dinah shore yeah he's that was his girlfriend yeah she was a big golfer go on talk show host adrienne barbeau yeah she was a piece of ass yeah she was in the swamp thing or something right yeah Yeah. she was a bond girl chris Everett. Before Chris Everett Lloyd. Uh, she was cute back in the day. Yes. Chris Everett gotta, still looks yeah. good. She's in her fucking 60s. She looks amazing. Yeah. She's handsome. Tammy Wynette at fifth. Yep. Okay. Sally. I guess he screwed Sally Field too. She, of course he she's did. She four. was his girlfriend for like 10 years. That's <laughs> what I meant. Yeah. Ta- Tawny Little. Oh, Tawny Little. Fucking local news anchor. Channel 7. Tawny Little. Miss, Miss, uh, Miss America too. She was also Miss America. That's right. Second on the list is Lonnie Anderson. They were married. Contentious divorce. He said 
She said, um, she said Bert used to tune her up quite a bit, which isn't cool. Yeah, that's not, that's not fortunate. And the first on this list is a Kate Edelman Johnson. Do we know who she is? No. Should we Google her? Kate Edelman Johnson's the, f- the, the best woman that Burt Reynolds ever oh, bed. That's, that's an odd one. She must have been a piece. She did some like ABC television and Kate stuff. Edelman. Oh, Kate Edelman Johnson, Burt Reynolds. It's oh. right there. Apparently had some uh, parenting issues. I mean, she looks kind of old. She looks he really looked, damn old. I'm sure Bert she's old let his niece. He left his niece in charge of it, ex- uh, executing his will instead of executing his will instead of his, his son. son Quinton. Yeah, Quinton. Quinton. No, Quinton is in. Qu- Let the fun begin. <laughs> you know, what do you call it? Can't buy me love. Right. Um, so anyway, he, oh, was a fuck- okay. he was a superstar. He was at the height of his powers. He could do anything he wanted. And in 1977, he did something. His stuntman, Hal Needham, was a fucking well-known Stunt man. He did all Burt's stunts. This guy was a Hollywood dude. And they were working on another movie, and it, they were filming in Georgia. And Hal Needham noticed that the maid was stealing all the fucking Coors out of his fridge in his hotel room. And he was like, what is going on? Why is she, what's the, is there like a beer shortage? Like, why is she stealing my Coors? He, he finds out that at the time, it was illegal to trans, because Coors wasn't pasteurized, it was illegal to transport Coors east of the Mississippi because it was, they didn't have refrigerated trucks. So it needed to stay refrigerated. So any Coors on the East Coast at the time was considered bootlegged. And he was like, hey, I wonder if there's an idea for a movie here. He writes a script. He gets no juice in Hollywood. Everyone's like, you're a fucking stuntman. And Burt Reynolds is his good buddy. And he's like, fuck it. I'll be in it. All of a sudden, <laughs> the the studio, I think it might have been Warner Brothers, was like, oh, Burt Reynolds is going to do it. He's the biggest star in the world. Let's do it. Not only does Hal Needham, his stuntman, get his screenplay produced – but he directs the fucking movie as well. Goes on to be the second highest grossing film of 1977 behind. Star Wars. Star Wars 1. New Hope. Don't give me that episode 4. No, it was just called Star Wars. Star Wars. It was just called Star Wars. New Hope. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't even New Hope. It right. was just Star Wars. Right. Um, yeah. So it was a it was a big fucking. There was hit. one one wrinkle that I read, one wrinkle that me, I read. Give me the wrinkle first. Jerry Reed, Jerry Reed read it and was like, "Oh, I want to be Bandit." Oh right. <laughs> and then Bert found out about it. He's like, uh, "I'm going to be Bandit." All right, Jerry, you're the snowman. Still pretty good. Jerry though. just got bumped. Yeah, I mean, it was it's a good it, gig. Yeah, it was pretty good to be Bert Reynolds' friend. In the 70s and 80s, that's for sure. Um, okay, so the, the story of the movie, it's pretty simple. It's not not a lot to it. It's Bandit is a, he's like a trucker. So that's this is one of the interesting things about the movie. He's a trucker and he's like famous for being a trucker, which is apparently something in the South. 
We have a lot of stuff. Is, se- is, fam- is, is he famous for being a trucker? Or is he famous for being a blocker? No, no I, Bandit, he- Bandit One was the car, right? Right, but he's he so he's like at a show. There, it's like a truck show, and this big Enos and little Enos are these wealthy Texans, and they want some some coors brought to some fair they're having in Georgia in Atlanta. And so they go get they go get the bandit and the bandit's like signing autographs like he's at this show. He's like a known dude. And I think it's because he's a he's a truck driver. He's a known truck guy. He's known he's known like the bouncers known in uh, what do you right, call it? Right. Roadhouse. Cooler. Cooler. Uh, so he so they go they make him an offer. I mean, you, you had the cheating notes, so you probably know better than me. But yeah. my takeaway this whole time was that. That my takeaway this entire time was that he was famous for being a great driver and blocker for no, all of these trucker no, heists. No, no, I'm on yeah, the- I only used as you call, and I, I don't, I don't appreciate your tone. Cheating notes. I just <laughs> like to say when I'm looking at an actor, be like, hey, what else was he in? That's what I used it for. I was so accusing Brian of the cheating. No, notes. I so was accusing I, you Ed, of doing it. I did read on the side. So this is this is part of how I know. They said that despite being a famous trucker, he's never he's never shown behind the wheel of a truck in the movie. <laughs> and it oh, says, okay. and now I'm on the wiki, and it says wealthy Texan Big Enos Burdett and his son Little Enos, played by the great Paul Williams. If you ever watched Love Boat. And Paul one. Williams was, yeah, he, what, he maxed out at about 4'8". Yeah, songwriter. Did tons of drugs, yes. wrote Rainbow Connection, and uh, what was the Carpenters? Uh, um, we've only just begun. He yeah. wrote that. Um, so, they and it says, the Burdettes find legendary trucker Bo Bandit Darvel competing, competing in a truck rodeo at the Lakewood right, Fairgrounds. You're just trusting Wikipedia over Jason and I. Right, yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. But, so here's the deal. Uh, the, the, could we like paint a picture of like those of us that were like alive back then? And I vaguely remember this movie when I was when it came out. But there was a rush, and I don't know if this was the beginning of it or just in the midst of it. There was a rush of freaking CB trucks. Yes. Totally. Yes. And people in the '70s loved it. And I don't know if it was because. I mean, looking back, it's it seems like such a, a simple form of communication. But I think in the late 70s, it was really incredibly cool to speak to somebody, yes. to speak to a stranger while you're driving. Like, that was so amazing. They made a ton of movies about it. Yes. CB, <laughs> ham radio. People, yeah. My grandfather in, like, his Cadillac had a CB. And I remember getting in trouble for, like, you know, trying to mess with, with it with other people. Yeah. Yeah, because you. Hey, just, this you, is serious, right? You get on there. There's <laughs> could be important business happening on there, and you're fucking it up by jacking and around. Four, one, two, one, two. What's your twenty? Just, just saying random shit, right? <laughs> so these, so big Enos and little Enos, they basically dare bandit. They're like, look, we need four hundred cases of Coors brought from Texarkana, Texas. That's a little confusing. Texarkana. Is that like on the Texas Arkansas border? Is that how they I, came up with that? I think so. I think, That's I think, Can- I think Kansas is around there too. Yeah. I think yeah. Adrian Peterson and Ellen DeGeneres are from there. That's oh. what I remember about Texas. I Texarkana. thought Ellen DeGeneres was from Louisiana. Okay, hold on. Let's not digress. Um he he's gotta bring four hundred cases of cores from Texarkana, Texas to 
back to Atlanta and he's got to do it in 28 hours. And apparently it's never been done. They keep records of this shit in the trucking world. And Burt Reynolds is like, yeah, well, I, part I of, a part- we should ask all our, ask all our trucker listeners. Yes. Cause I'm sure we have many. Um, do they always, do they always know what you're transporting? Yeah. You're supposed to, like, you're supposed to keep could, a manifest. Could you just drive with, wouldn't you just drive with cores in there? Does anyone know? No, they, they, you get pulled over. Yeah, you keep it manifest if you're pulled over. But, like, is it a given you're getting pulled over? No, you also got to go through the scales. What? I haven't Which, been pulled over for, like, 25 years. Yeah, but if you're a trucker, you got to go you're through the scales. You're going 100 miles an hour, man. Yeah, you, gotta, yeah. you go okay. through the okay. scales, and they weigh your truck to make sure yeah, you're complying. Yeah, those weigh stations. And yeah, also, yeah. you got to keep a log. You can't drive too many hours, and you can't be taking those you speed think, pills. Do you think those log and speed restrictions were happening in the 70s? Yes, for sure. That's That was okay. the height of trucking. There's, there's, this movie should uh, should be called, kind of looking back, um, Smokey, I'm sorry, Bandit. The guy that put um, years in federal prison, years of risk of prison time for a felonious activity and risked his life and limb going 110 miles an hour for many miles for $80,000. Right. Well, (laughs) for banquet beer. Also, yeah, because and basically they tell him they're like a new truck is $80,000. So basically he's doing it to get a new rig. Um, But I did the math here and I like. Nobody loves original cores more than I do. If I'm on the golf course and the cart girl comes up, the first thing I'm looking to see is if she's got original cores. If I'm drinking a an American mass-produced shit beer, nine times out of ten, it's going to be either original cores or Pabst Blue Ribbon. Um, those are my beers. I love cores, but. 400 cases of Coors is 9,600 cans. He's paying the bandit $80,000 to bring him 9,600 cans of Coors. That's over $8 a can in 1977 dollars just for the transport. Yeah, beers had to be a dollar at most yeah, back he, then. He also had to buy the beer. He had to pay for the 400 cases of beer in Texas and then spend eight bucks a can getting it driven warm from Texarkana to Atlanta. I, I got to imagine the South had a plenty of Schlitz. Uh, what are some other, what are some uh, other old beers? Old Milwaukee back then. Yes. What is, there's probably a regional beer that was a close Miller proxim- High Life, I'm sure. Yes, a close proximity to Coors was available in, in Atlanta. So that part lost me. Also, I want it noted that I see here on the on the um, Wikipedia that the release date of Smoking the Bandit was May nineteenth, nineteen seventy seven. That was my second birthday. Mm. I, I nice. turned I turned the big two. Good to know. Big two. Um, I also yeah. want to note. I remember the the opening theme song. I I think maybe all the songs are sung by Jerry Reed. Yeah, they're all Jerry Reed. But the tunes. beginning, I think, is the the song is the Bandit, and it's very literal. It's yeah. it's it's bad songwriting. It's just it. it well, it's kind of like uh, the old theme songs. How it would be very specific. It would tell yeah. you everything. 
that's how the, the that's how Joey Reed songs La- are. lacking yeah. any symbolism at all for the, no, for no, the no, people right. in the south like plot with a harmonic in it. yeah no it's like the it's, band it, it, he drives a Trans Am he runs liquor like it's like all it's Scott just don't a, like him yeah yeah. And, and I and I think the chorus is he tries to get to a place and back in as fast as he can. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> it. Uh, really, it's like a bad sitcom theme song. Yeah. So he's he agrees. <laughs> can, we, can we talk? Can we talk about Bandit One or what? I gotta get to the Trans Am. Yeah. Gotta, so he. Oh, that's the other yeah. thing. He, he's like, okay. So he pulls up. He he picks up his buddy Snow Snowman. S- Snowman. Yeah. Cletus Snow, played by Jerry. Lots Reed. of kids. Yeah, he go and he just walks into his house. His wife's got her hair in curlers. He's a real asshole to the wife. He's like, "Hey, you're a fucking bitch. Get out of my way. I got to get your husband." Then Cletus is and you're asleep. Ugly too. Yeah. yeah, Cletus is asleep. The bandit jumps in bed with him, and the camera angle is like from below the bed in the corner. If you just walked in the room, <laughs> it looks like Bandit yeah. is just fucking ass plowing his close friend Jerry Reed, which. I'm totally He's okay. With. That's fine. Band. Yeah, that that was a little weird, right? <laughs> weird choice by Hal Needham. He's I had the exact Bandit same feeling. Right into Bandit number two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the first red flag when he pulls up to the house, his truck, Bandit two. I would say if you're trying to evade the cops, put it in just a an unmarked yeah. big rig. He's got a fucking weird mural on the side. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, very a, it's a rodeo. It's a uh, rodeo theme. A, you're talking about the same guy who had his sole purpose in the movie was to draw cops away from the truck and to outrun cops and be conspicuous. And he wears a bright red shirt the entire movie. <laughs> he also he also tells Big Enos and Little Enos he needs money for the beer and he needs money for a car. And so they give him they're, – they're like count – you know, like handing him hundreds and he's like, better car. I need a better car. I need a faster car. And they keep giving him money. So for hundreds more. <laughs> yeah. We're to believe he's bought a brand new Trans Am just for this run, except it's already got a personalized plate that says band one on it. Right. So, so that was all bullshit that he needed a car. Yeah. He already and, and, apparently already had the car. And by the and, way, if you're going to be, if you're going to have to outrun cops and, and, and be avoidable, you, you definitely want a short, catchy license plate. Yeah. Band yeah. one. Yeah. Right. Wait, was that a C or a J? No, no, it's, no, it's just a band bandit one. one on band one. Yeah. Uh, band one. Um, and I, I, I noted this line because it, it just couldn't exist today. When he goes up to Big and Little Enos, he goes, Oh, and I love your suit. Must be a bitch getting a 68 extra fat and a yeah. 12 dwarf. It was good. He, he had, like, I don't know. I can't imagine how Needham didn't get a little help punching this thing up because it's basically like vaudeville throughout. Like, it is it is like a joke every line throughout the movie. It's all one-liners. It's kind of written by a 12-year-old boy. It I is, It's but it works. It's. I was yeah. surprised that I was giggling throughout this movie, and, even if the jokes were kind of dumb. And I think in the beginning, that's when we see Cooter from Dukes of Hazard making he's an there. appearance. Yeah, he's Cooter's oh, yeah. there, and then later, Enos, Sheriff Roscoe P. Coltrane's deputy, makes an appearance, surprisingly, as a Southern cop. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they uh, they... Um, then they start playing westbound and down and right. then eastbound and down. Because they're headed out. And he says, and um, Bandit says, tells 
snowman he's like hey we need to go we need to go to atlanta and back in 28 hours and and snowman immediately knows well that's never been done no one's ever done that because apparently they keep records of this shit and also bandit says it's 900 miles Uh, the side of the screen is like no if you take highway 82 or whatever it is it's actually 622 miles like bandit was way off on that number uh, but yeah, they head out and, uh, the, you know, they're running down the highway. Everything's going good. And then, uh, bandit encounters a bride in the middle of the road and his, wait first, a minute, Brian, yeah. uh, how come we're skipping past the Trans Am? I mean, can't, oh, yeah, can't we break down it. what the Trans Am is? Yeah, it's gorgeous. It. Yeah. I mean, I, it. What I, I, you know, I didn't write cheat notes like you guys do, but I did look up Trans Am. And for a car that was so iconic in our childhood, the car that's driven in this movie, the, uh, was it Pontiac Firebird Trans Am? Yeah. Uh, I think they stopped making this thing in the late eighties or early nineties. Like it, it had a fairly short shelf life for a, I mean, how many cars can you, say were made famous by a movie. I mean that they're they're you know, you can count on one wow. hand. It must have been a complete piece of shit car, the Trans Am. Did uh, you guys this, ever ride in one or at this own is one like the this I is didn't the, own one but but you yeah. you definitely saw the type of guy who drove them mm-hmm. in the early eighties. Yeah. It was a certain type of person that when society kind of moved away from those cut type of guys. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like you didn't there was a, a type of guy that was always associated with the Trans Am. The American muscle car, and I know... My uncle was one of them. I know that we're going to get a lot of pushback here from the audience, <laughs> which is what you guys are want to do, as you've done with my mustache, as you've done with everything else I've ever said on the show. The, the American muscle car sort of peaked in the early 70s, like 71, <laughs> 72. You're really pushing it on like a 73 anything, Barracuda, if you're a Mopar guy, whatever. Uh, 77 was really, you're really past the prime of the American muscle car. Now, this Burt Reynolds, he made him fucking cool again with this Trans Am. And apparently he, I got this off the side of the screen, He they sold like, 70,000 Trans Ams the year before this movie came out. And then the the year after they sold like 120,000 Trans Ams. And some guy at Pontiac told Burt Reynolds, they're like, Hey, if this movie's a hit, I'll give you one. And then the movie was a hit and they didn't give him a, they didn't give him a, a, Pon- really? a Trans Am. And he was like, Hey, what the fuck? And he, but he didn't want to seem like an entitled movie star because he's rich. You know, he could afford a Trans Am at the time. This is before he lost all his money. And, but eventually he like made an overture back to Pontiac and was like, Hey, what the fuck? That guy said he was going to give me a car. And they're like, Oh, he doesn't work here anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and some other guys like, I'm in charge now and you can fuck off because I'm not giving you a, a, a Trans Am, and meanwhile, the guy pretty much d- doubled the sale of the Pontiac sales of the Pontiac Trans Am by himself. Did they? I, I don't remember. I didn't see the. Se- or I haven't seen the sequel in years. Did they brought the Trans Am back for the sequel? Right? Yeah, I think it was in all. All they made three. I think it was in all three. three. Yeah, I had no idea about this little scuffle behind the scenes. Yeah, well, well you don't, does you seem like the, the side of the screen. He seems like the type who didn't uh, get things in writing. 
Yeah. No, he's, he's he's he seems like guy. a guy who played fast and loose. Yeah, he did. And I think the, 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 the point that I was making, though, is that we could, you still see Mustangs on the road, newly made Mustangs. You right. still see Chargers. Yeah, yeah, yeah You yeah, still Chargers. see these muscle cars. Well, they brought them back. That, and the Trans Am, they just stopped making them. So they, they must have just been poorly made pieces of shit. Well, that, that's my so thing. <laughs> well, I think I, 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 I'm, I'm, I might be wrong on this, but when Billy Madison goes back to high school to look cool, I think he shows up in a Trans Am and everybody laughs at him. <laughs> I think like it, it was a joke 20 years ago. Yeah. I did see that he had on the, on the hood, he had the induction hood on, on the, the bandit had the induction hood. He had the fucking big engine. It said 6.6 liters. And so it looks like this came in a four, 403 cubic inch V8. So he must've had the big one. That's the big motherfucker. Um, with all the bells and whistles, although it was an automatic and anybody that's trying to outrun the car. And when you listen to it drive throughout the movie, he's fucking constantly shifting gears. But when they show the inside of the cab, it's, it's an automatic seems like a weird choice for the bandit, a trucker. You figure he would want to be able to shift his own car and really drive it. But that was not, he's a take charge guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, he picks up, he picks up a bride, there's a bride in the middle of the road and she's pretty forward cause she just stands there. He's going a hundred miles an hour and he's got to like spin out in the middle of the highway. And then he's, and he's just like, Hey, get in. And she's like, yeah, I'm getting in. And they head off down the highway and it's, and it's Sally field. And it's, this is, it needs to be said that in 1977, Sally field was just such a cute little piece of ass. I mean, you could see why Burt Reynolds was so fond of her. And from the moment she gets in the car, you see, you could tell what kind of chemistry they had. Like if you did, if you didn't know they were in a relationship in, in real life, you, you would think that they would have hooked up on this movie because they were, they just worked so well together. They, they played so well off each other. Did you guys get that vibe from I, them? I always got, I always had the same vibe on Sally field that she was cute. I don't know if I would so say cute. smoking hot. No, She's she got a nice cute. little rump in this movie, but yeah, nice I, fat bottom. She had been an actress in the business for many years. She was flying what the flying done and get and get Gidget. it way before this movie so she was like very well known going into this role right but she turned into a two-time oscar winner yeah so like i don't know when norma ray was and a couple of her like more serious yeah. si- she played sybil yeah. the the, the yeah, great personalities great but like i i don't know was she already a serious actress or was she just like gidget and those kind of fun roles and then move to this, then move to serious. Movie. Not yeah, sure. I, I want to see all the. I want to see all the Oscar uh, nominated stuff happen well after this movie. Yeah, That's what I want. So originally, she was like, she didn't want to do this movie, and Burt Reynolds was like, "Hey, he's like, you need to." Oh no, her her agent. I'm reading the wiki. I thought it was Burt Reynolds. It said Sally Field only accepted the part after her agent advised her that she needed a big movie role on her resume. Reynolds actively pushed for her casting after Universal initially resisted, claiming Field was not attractive enough. 
disagree. Uh, Field enjoyed making the film, but remembers that virtually the entire project was improvised, and certainly you can see that once okay. Buford T. I mean, Justice Hal Needham wasn't wasn't uh, no. a stickler for detail. Yes, <laughs> man. <laughs> It looks like uh, it looks like she had done Sybil, which wasn't a movie. It was a TV miniseries. Was, I think the year she won before an Emmy for that. Yeah. yeah, the year before the movie came out, she did that. And then Norma Ray was seventy nine, and then you know you have the um, what was it, Places of the Heart or something or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. she won yeah. for again was yeah. in the eighties. We we don't need her hold IMDb, but thanks for that, Jason. Uh, it's immediately after that where it we. We're, so you're wondering, this is a runaway bride situation. What is she running from? And then we're introduced to Sheriff Buford T. Justice, played by the incomparable Jackie Gleason, the fucking original superstar, comedic actor, television icon. Everything. The guy was a fucking super, super talent. And it says here, by the way, guys, yeah, by the way, I just, I just did a quick glance. Jackie Gleason, uh, died in 1987. Um, this movie was made in 1976. Looking at him in this movie, he is the model uh, he isn't necessarily the model of health. He looks like he doesn't look like he's got a decade. He doesn't look like he has a decade left he, in the tank. He no. certainly doesn't. How no. the heck did? Because I remember him in now, that the the toy with Richard Pryor. That was like mid eighties or something. Great movie. Uh, I can't believe he made it that long. Yeah. How did he make it another eleven years after seeing him in this movie? Yeah. Now like I'm a shit. I'm a very I'm a very big James Bond fan, and clearly Hal Needham is a big James Bond fan because Buford T. Justice is a complete ripoff of the character J.W. Pepper. It, it was the worst James Bond character. He played the like the Southern sheriff uh, in Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun. And he he was the same character, like this dim-witted Southern sheriff who's chasing him around. <laughs> right. And there's a there's a boat chase. There's a boat that goes on and the car, the cop car goes into the water. It's it's a complete ripoff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> apparently they just, they hired Jackie Gleason. At first they were going to give it to somebody else, Richard Boone, but they eventually cast Jackie Gleason and they're just like, Hey, do whatever you want. Like you're Jackie Gleason. They said he was given free reign to ad lib dialogue and make suggestions. It was his idea to have junior alongside him throughout, which kind of is a genius idea. Um, in particular, yeah. the scene where Sheriff Justice unknowingly encounters the bandit in the choke and puke, a roadside diner, was not in the original story, but uh, rather was Gleason's idea. And I believe that's their only scene together in the movie, right? Are they – I don't know they, that they he, he physically encounter when, each other. When his car is like 20 feet away behind him. Right. Maybe they're in the same shot. Yeah. But that might be it. Yeah, that's the, on, that's the only time where they speak Direct, you know, not on the CB, um, where they speak directly to each other in in the film, um, and so and Junior is 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 uh, an ex LA Ram. Oh, really? It's Mike Henry. He was Mike. a he was a football player. He was very good looking. Um, so yeah, S- Sally Field. Her name's Carrie. They call her Frog. And, and Bandit's calling her fat. He's, yeah. he's he's 
really mean to her. They're basically just ripping on each other the whole time. It's pretty funny. Um, they they ba- it, then basically it's a car chase for the whole rest of the movie. They, but uh, Sally Field's character is the um, was the future right. daughter-in-law of Jackie Gleason. So, so she's run. Stupid. Yeah, j- that's right. Junior's in a tuxedo. Um, he was about to marry, and they kind of give you the background on that. She's she's run from she ran away from the wedding, and and Buford T. Justice and Junior are trying to retrieve her and bring her back and talk some sense into her. And Jerry Reed, they pepper him in, and he's fun. Right. But I, after reading that fact that he was originally given the role of the bandit, this movie would have sucked. If oh yeah, would yeah, it would have been a different movie. Would have been a lot different movie. Um. So yeah, they um a couple things I noticed. There's a lot of and this was this was big in the 70s and 80s. Uh, there's there's a lot of spin-outs and jumping bridges and a lot of things where you're like, "Hey, if that really happened, one it's impossible, it's physically impossible, but okay, I'll I'll suspend disbelief." But B, like if you jumped a bridge and the and the car landed, you would blow out all the tires, destroy the suspension, and probably break your spine. And they do that like forty seven times throughout the rest of the movie. But it happened in James Bond, so they yeah. just did the exact scene. Right. Exactly. So, so there's so there's there. I mean, if if you want to go right to the flaws of the film as it co- as it goes to the action scenes, um, you need to also take into account the fact that. They're doing all this speedy driving and turning and jumping over rivers, and not one seatbelt is used ever. No. No. So, so when you land the jump, your body is not going to stop flying. Um, so, and at that point, I love the 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 great thing about the bridge jump, and I had to rewind it and watch it again. There's conveniently a ramp for the bandit, and yes. then the ramp is gone for the police car. Right. So that's it's amazing that that happened, and. I did. I did think it was funny, and this was also a technique used in the '70s because of just a lack of technology um, to show how fast things are going. Speed up the film. Yeah, that was good. Yes, oh, they do that with fights too. Yes, totally. They do that all the time. Sped up all kinds of fights. Yeah, they didn't have CGI back then. They didn't. They didn't have modern techniques. They had to really <laughs> do shit. And uh, yeah, these days you can see the flaws. Um, I, but you'd see a bird in the background and the bird would be going at warp speed. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're being chased around. Eventually, um, the bandit has to stop. He stops at a bus station and he's like, all right, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let you go. He's like getting rid of, getting rid of Sally field. And he goes in and this just, just to, to give you, to f- put in perspective, the amount of money that was paid for this course. The bandit goes into the diner and he orders two cheeseburgers and an iced tea. And the bill, he says, What do I owe you, miss? And she says, Buck fifty. One dollar <laughs> and fifty cents. For two meals. Two cheeseburgers and an iced tea. And that's where that's the, the scene where the bandit encounters Buford T. Justice. They don't realize he, uh, Buford T. Justice doesn't realize he's speaking to the bandit. The bandit pays for his lunch, and then Buford T. Justice goes into uh, cop a squirt, as I believe is the terminology he uses. Bandit heads out. He runs outside. 
and there's Carrie racing by in his to pick him up in his Trans Am. She's she's smitten with him. She doesn't want to be left alone. They're clearly falling in love with each other, and they head off with with Sally Field driving for the next yep. forty five minutes of car chases. There's there's one scene right before I think the rest stop, which we were just talking about how she's she's a great actress, but. When she's, they're trying to show that he's starting to rub off on her, and she tries smoking a cigarette, oh, yeah. and she acts like she's smoking angel dust. It's right. the weirdest overacting I've ever seen. But there's, she's supposed to not be able to smoke, right? Because that's kind of a, like a thing she does uh, throughout. She, she sells, she sells that, but it's, yeah. it's weird. It's yeah. one thing to be trying a cigarette and coughing a little too much, sure. but she, she acts like. Like her eyes are going to pop out. Yeah, that is true. It is a little overacting. Um, and then it's cute. You know, they try to they try to do a thing where they change. Yeah, they all sit in my lap, see if something comes up. Right. And she's like, was that your belt buckle? And there's, you know, there's there's a lot of flirtation. This is my thing. It, yeah. The uh, the changing, the, the trying to trade places in a car going 100 miles an hour. Right. I mean, there are so many things that that this guy did so many decisions this guy made with, with that car that are head scratching, but like, would it have really have like been a, a whole lot different just to pull off into some, some like, I don't know, shaded area off the road and just change places. Well, they had yeah. time to pull over and fornicate. So right. yeah, they had time to switch. Places. Yeah. Eventually they pull over and fuck and the bandits like, I only take my hat off for one thing. And she's like, well, maybe you should take your hat off. Oh my goodness! I want you to get it in. I want you to get that. And then he takes it off, and you see that the early days of Burt Reynolds' wig, which is just one of those things that's hard to get past. All those wigs over the years. Um, what else? There's there's some racism. There's, there's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's races. There's racism, and also. Um, there are a lot of randos that are helping along the way. That's the whole. Yeah, he's a well-known guy, like the 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 hearse driver. Yeah, the hearse and driver I, just just realizes that it's Bandit driving by, and he gets on the same frequency and talks jive to Bandit. Right. Yeah, I feel like maybe truckers. That's one thing that you need to see. Be I feel like hearse drivers because we've yeah. all been caught behind a funeral procession, and it's complete bullshit. They go two miles an hour. Yeah. It takes forever. Um. They wouldn't need a CB. Yeah. Well, also, and he, he kind of looked like the jive guy from Airplane. He gets. I don't know yes. if it was. He gets some local whores on the horn that he knows, and they're like, "Oh, don't worry, we'll fuck the cops, so you don't have to." Like, we already got it covered. Mm-hmm. We're fucking the cops in a in a motorhome over here, and also, why don't you swing by and mm-hmm. fuck us later? And he and he's like, "All right, yeah, no problem." Um, I noticed yeah. then that right around this point. 55 minutes into the movie, it's the f- and they've gone through at least three states at this point. It's the first time they finally stop for gas. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they finally stop for gas, or at least show that they stop for gas. The car has been through. I, the funny thing is, is that the smoky car is almost completely uh, incinerated, or not incinerated, but completely. Yeah, everything's uh, been. Disintegrated. Yeah, like, it's they it, do that, and that 
that's a realistic portrayal of what a car would look like after going through as many things that it has gone through. This Trans Am goes through just about uh, clean, completely clean, right. and no tires. No tires are even low. No, no tires need changing, and he's doing a lot of shit. Yeah, he's do he's going over 100 miles an hour the whole time. The um the Buford T Justice's cop car, I think it's like a Pontiac Le Mans or something, more of a like a sedan type. And he does that thing that they did on about 3 episodes of Chips every season where he where he goes under an 18-wheeler and it rips the whole top of the car off. Yeah, that's that, a, that was a big time chips move. Yeah, that was very oh, wow. common back in the day. Now you never see that. We I wish we could get more of that in movies. Something um, tells me the liability on that particular stunt yeah. is far too high for 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 stunts these days. <laughs> that's probably They're, true. They would, now, they would just they would just CGI the shit. Now. Yeah, now the same scene. Anytime you see somebody driving in a movie, you know they're about to get T-boned without them looking. That's the the most CGI'd uh, right. driving thing. They constantly do the T-bone. Um, and the yeah, uh, yeah. another thing about the uh, what was I going to say about about the driving in this movie? There was another, <laughs> there was another thing that I specifically. Oh no no it was uh, we forgot to bring this up. So a signature move of Burt Reynolds in his heyday when like. When he basically could pick whatever script he wanted and pick the cast and everything, a signature move that I just remembered watching this movie is that he breaks the fourth wall once a movie. It's great. Yeah, he looks right. He, at the, he looks right, right, at, the right at the audience once. Yeah. That was like his signature move, which like, look, looking back is a complete badass move. It's I mean, so nobody badass. fucking does that. Yeah, yeah right. Because he's saying I'm bigger than all of this. The entire industry. Yeah, he did. So at the at the beginning when they when he first evades a cop he does a thing where he's you know they didn't have much radio traffic and it's weird because it's like a small town and he's the only car on the road that they the cop wouldn't just see him again but he like outruns a cop he hops a curb and like parks it behind like a little building and the cop goes the other way and then he rolls out he's on the grass and he rolls out to get back on the road and he stops and he looks directly into the camera and smiles and then drives away i mean it's just it's such a it's such a burnt move it's such a classic it's a cheesy thing but he was he was the fucking man like it totally worked for him yeah it did and, and i will say along the i mean there there's one line later in the movie that i could bring up that just would never fly uh and at any point in this day and age, but the, the subtle racism, and I guess it was pretty obvious in the seventies in the South. I mean, the guy was driving a, had a Confederate flag on his license plate, but he, uh, he pulls into the gas station who's the, and the gas station attendant for the full service gas was black. <laughs> Yeah. And Burt Reynolds gives him one of those low fives. That yeah. you yeah, what it is, you only, you, only, you only saw it in the seventies. <laughs> the low five. Yeah, um, and I do want to point out it's not just racism towards black people, although it's mostly that. Remember the Japanese truck truck driver when he takes off Justice's car uh, door, it, he yes. screams bonsai. Also, he did. Yes, oh, that's great. Also. He's quasi Japanese. I don't know that the actor was actually Japanese, yeah. but they're like, "Hey, you he look kind of Japanese." Japanese. Voice. Yes, he did a Japanese voice. He yelled bonsai. bonsai. It was very, it was very uncomfortable for this day um, and age. That's for sure. And and you you talked about when he he takes his hat off for. I want to point out as much as Bert is is a sexual being, that was one of the 
grosser kisses in cinema history. I, the only grosser kiss that I can think of is when Gene Hackman and Barbara Hershey smash their faces together in Hoosiers. <laughs> like, they, they didn't give a nice kiss. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much like a face-mashing kind of kiss. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it was not good. Yeah, they didn't, really, they didn't really play up the sex part. I mean, they do fall in love, but yeah, that was, that was kind of a weird scene. Um, so yeah, the quasi-Asian Asian car hauler driver takes out a car. I mean, they're just, they're just taking out cars at this point, racing around. They almost kill a bunch of kids on a football field when uh, Sally Field is dri- driving. And how do they do the hide-and-seek? Yeah. It, it's one of those things that it's fun, but everybody knows he's just on the other side of the truck. Like, right. he was completely baffled that he might yeah. have. Yeah, just drive with the trucks until they have to stop and then arrest them. Like, why, why did that dissuade right. them from chasing after? But my thing is, too, about this, um, like, as as the movie's going along and you're thinking um, you really can't say anything that's more offensive or do anything more offensive than the, than the, uh, the black people thing, um, when Gleason tells his son... In the in the movie, I had to write it down. There's no way that you could come from my loins. When I get home, yes. the first thing I'm going to do is <laughs> punch your mama in the mouth. Yeah, that was yeah. so good. That that line of dialogue could not exist in a movie nowadays unless it was doing an ironic look at yeah, racism, it was, it, like the Spike it was Lee movie. De- it was delivered well, though. Oh, the, yeah. I mean, he. I think. Buford T. Justice, I wrote it down. His first line in the movie when they encounter the scene where the uh, the Sally Field has run off, he gets back in the car with Junior and forgive me, I'm just quoting the movie. He says, this happens every time one of these floozies starts poontanging around <laughs> with these show folk fags. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was very very. I feel oh, like that Hal, was ad libbed. Yeah. No, that's Hal Needham. Like, you know what this yes. scene needs? Yes, that's a stunt man. Homophobia. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, also, I bear with me. My my wife is Jewish. My children are Jewish. Yes, I'm. I just want. I pointed out. I wrote in my notes that the hide and seek truck scene. Did you convert? Kind of, Did you have to convert? Fuck no. Because they, um, they make you get re-circumcised if you convert. Really? Yeah, that's what I've heard. Okay, go I on. Mean, I was I was circumcised just because, like, it was a thing. But I, think I mean, they, the same reason why I circumcised my kids. It had nothing to do with religion. But I think, I think if you convert to Judaism, they make you go through, like, a ceremony where they, like, just, like, put a slice in it or something. Okay, go on. I, I digress. It seems Anyway, I, my note with the hide-and-seek with the trucks is kind of like the, the, the time I went to Anne Frank's house. It's a three-story house, yeah. and there was just a bookshelf between the second and third floor, and they're like, hey, what's over here? I, I, it's a bookshelf. All right, all right, we give up. That's how I felt about the hide-and-seek. <laughs> yeah. like, right. I mean, well, the truckers are like, there's a whole we- other floor there. <laughs> the truckers are like, we got you. And there, and he's and he, yeah. he just drives in between them. Like the cop could just like wait until he comes out from <laughs> yeah. in between the it's trucks. The most obvious thing. There's somebody and, there. Somebody's and, right there. And by the way, what all these people along the way that do the helping? What's in it for them? Yeah, they, they just, could they could they could say that they helped the bandit once. I mean, like I 
I don't get risking um, risking being arrested for helping in a betting or whatever the hell the, the charge would be, just yeah. to like just to like be cool with a bandit who doesn't give a shit yeah. about you. One of those truckers was Joe Klecko, so maybe right. maybe he had too many headshots. Was it really? Yeah. yeah, he was he was one of them. Yeah, you don't. He was in a bunch of those movies. You don't want to go down for helping in a betting, that's for sure. Um, so then, weird part of the movie. Um, we're getting we're getting to the climax here. Sandman, Snowman, he's got to pull off for gas. Finally, he's driving an eighteen wheeler. He pulls off at a place that he's known. Like he walks in and he's like, "Hey, what's up, Bubba? Steve? Hey, I'm gonna use the phone." He's calling people on the phone. He's calling his wife, checking in, and all of a sudden, he gets the shit kicked out of him by a bunch of bikers in a in a bar where he knows the owner. Like no one, oh, yeah. no one helps him out. Yo, no one, no one does anything to protect him. He gets the literal well, why shit did he get kicked the- out of him. Because he just his, mouthed off to him? No, his dog Fred bit one of the guys. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, uh, oh, go fuck yourself or whatever. But then he gets his revenge because he goes out and he pays for the gas, 73 bucks to fill up a big rig. And he takes off and he runs over all their choppers with his rig. Uh, and then they head out and then it, and then it turns into one of those things where they're being followed by like 87,000 cops. There's the, the chopper from mash is up above them. Like there's everything. There's, um, Enos, the motorcycle cop from Dukes of Hazard is there. Like everybody's there and the, the, they're four miles away and bandits like, this is the end of the line. Like he calls on the CBs. Like there's, there's nothing I can do. Snowman, we're fucked. And Snowman comes through and he's like, bullshit. And he saves the day by pulling ahead in his big ass big rig and blasting through the, the cop barricade and, and showing up with 10 minutes to spare. They did it in 27 hours and 50 minutes to deliver the beer. Anything to add, gentlemen? Why wouldn't the cops just. Yeah, it seems like once you've run over the cop cars, they could just easily come get you. Yeah, but they were they were blocked, but because somehow he like knocked the cop cars into each other, and but but it was a couple hundred yards, and they're like, get these cop car, get these cars out of the way. We got to get this guy. Like they were too lazy to just run. They wanted to be able to drive there, and the cars were in the way. But by that time, the bandit had escaped in big Enos's Cadillac. And he's like, here, let me take, we need a car. He's like, here, take this one. I only got 12 more or something. Cause big did Enos I, is real rich. Did, did I miss the part where the helicopter lost the trail? When there was a helicopter for a while, whatever happened to the helicopter? It's there. It runs up to the end. It's following them up at the very end, but I, they pull the old switcheroo, even though he leaves his hat and his red shirt on and it's, the exact people that you, they were looking for, they drive away in a convertible, and none of the cops seem to notice that it's the bandit. So the so that the helicopter was tracing them at the end, and they still got away. Yes, that was my conclusion. It just doesn't. I mean, given uh, the modern day technology, and there's no way in hell a high speed uh, chase could result in someone escaping just because of GPS and everything right. else. I still think in 1977 that there would be a way of of eventually catching this guy. Like yeah. all the resources of all the state troopers 
and everything at their disposal. If they really wanted to, they can catch this guy. Well, I mean, it's, you know who he is. Like, you know, his name, <laughs> you probably could go to his mom's house. And, like you could track him down. And his personalized plates too. Right. He's yeah. got he, bam yeah. one, <laughs> you know, like it's like, like the snowman snowman's got a family. This the the bandit he yeah. roams from town to town taking trucking gigs and if you got if you got a challenge for him he likes challenges and having fun and how about how about leveraging how about leveraging a handful of these aider and abettors and saying you're either going to get prison time or you're going to give us the full name of this guy that that you helped right I mean, pull over Joe Klecko right yeah oh yeah buddy you're going to jail if you don't give me bandit. Or the whores that uh, fuck the cops a town over to get them off the trail of the bandit. And when and when the horse said, hey, bandit, why don't you stop by? He said, sorry, honey, I'm too pooped to pop. <laughs> wow. That's some sexy language there. Uh, okay. Anything to add, guys? No. The, it was a very think, Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah, it was great. It, it was. It was, it was much better than I expected it to be. It's fun to watch, and it's very nostalgic, and it's a great look see into kind of how things were done and perceived in the in the late seventies. Uh, but just the blatant lack of respect for authority, um, the just ridiculous um, ideas that. All of this could have happened in a Trans Am that arrives at the at the end completely untouched with the same tires. When you start thinking about that, then you start thinking just how ridiculous this movie was. But you usually give the box office totals. It was an extremely successful movie that was made into at least one sequel. I don't remember the third one. Was the third one any good? No, it's um, uh, Burt Reynolds isn't even it, in it. I'm guessing no. Burt Reynolds only does a cameo. Third one, any good? Yeah. When is the answer? Yes. Never. (laughs) Never. I don't. I don't recall the second one, but I imagine the second one couldn't have been. Couldn't have been great. Couldn't have been good. No. I. I can only imagine. Oh, it's two ninety nine on. I imagine Burt Reynolds gave them four days on set, and Jerry Reed's like, "Oh, I I can do six months here. (laughs) What do you need? Like, how about we? How about we make this this one the snowman snowman story? (laughs) hey i've got i've got a northbound and down and southbound and down i can i can change that too i've only done i've only done the two directions so far we could also get combined directional i could do southwest and down if you need it northwest and down whatever you need we can go eugene oregon to uh knoxville tennessee (laughs) uh yeah, legal status of Coors beer from the just an update from the Wikipedia. In 1977, Coors was unavailable for sale east of Oklahoma. A 1974 Time magazine article explains why Coors was so coveted that one would be willing to pay the bandits such a high price to transport it because you couldn't get it. It was like this thing that you needed when really. It's just well, well, shitty American beer, yes. Yeah. Coors Banquet Beer had a brief renaissance as certain people sought it out for its lack of stabilizers and preservatives. Uh, Gerald Ford hid it in his luggage after a trip to Colorado. Dwight Eisenhower had a steady supply airlifted to Washington by the fucking Air Force. 
Um, somebody smuggled so I have, it. I have a family yeah. friend. Yep. <clears throat> excuse me. Family friend uh, that was college roommates with Peter Coors. And in college, like in the late 60s, this guy, you, Peter Coors would just, they'd get a, a full truck full of Coors to park at their like fraternity house God, each semester. Can you imagine? I mean, the, I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Just printing money yeah. right there. Yeah. The lack you would of, have every girl. Yeah. The lack of additives and preservatives meant that Coors had the potential for spoiling in a week if it were not kept cool throughout its transportation. That explains the 28 hour deadline. Uh, what else? The, the soundtrack, Eastbound and Down, sung and co written by Reed. We got that. Um, but yeah. also Westbound and Down. Yeah, Eastbound, Westbound. He did all the bounds and down. Um, Needham saw an advertisement for the soon to be released 77 Pontiac Trans Am and knew right away that would be the bandit's car, or as Needham referred to it, a character in the movie. Well, that's true. He contacted Pontiac. An agreement was made that four 1977 Trans Am and two Pontiac Le Mans four-door sedans would be provided for the movie. The Trans Ams were actually 1976 model cars with 77 front ends. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's said on the side of the screen. Bert did not get one for free. Uh, okay, I say we wrap it up there. Jason Stewart. Always thankful for your time. Thank you, gentlemen. You are a tremendous, tremendous guest, and we love having you. Ed Daly, fantastic work. As always, you are the man. Uh, Until next time, my name is Brian Beckner. For Jason Stewart, for Ed Daly, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. credit card bill.